All right, Proverbs chapter number 11 and verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30, good place to start tonight. And it says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Look at that, he that winneth souls is wise. You say, what are you talking about? Soul winning. And tonight, for just a few minutes, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about soul winning. And of course, we can't get into everything it says about it. But the truth is, the Bible does say quite a bit about it. It says a lot about it. And I had a guy tell me one time, he said, well, you can't, you can't win souls. Only God can do that. I go, no, you can win them. You just can't save them. The Lord does the saving, but we can win them. And if we couldn't, he wouldn't have written this in the last half of verse 30. He that winneth souls is wise. That's what it says. So we can win them. We just can't save anybody. Only the Lord can save people. The church can't save people. That baptistry can't save people. The preacher can't save people. The Democrats can't save people. Republicans can't save people. You say, who does it? The Lord saves people. That's who saves people. And so that's pretty, pretty plain. And if you're a soul winner, you're wise for doing that. He that winneth souls is wise. Wise. And so what we need is some good wisdom. And the way to get wisdom is to win souls. And so... I want to notice several things about it. And notice the first thing. We're commissioned to be soul winners. Take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. I don't claim to be the best soul winner in the world. Probably not a very good one. I've led a lot of people to the Lord. Probably not near as many as I should have. But anyway, um, I like seeing people getting saved. We're having a lot of folks getting saved around here. We, we have them saved on Wednesday nights. We have them saved on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights sometimes. It's really good what's going on. We've been baptizing people nearly on a weekly basis. We baptized a lot of folks this year. I don't know how many. I hadn't kept up with the number. I could get with Sister Barbara and find out. But I know this much. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's been really good. As a matter of fact, we're planning on baptizing people Sunday. So that's good. It's been good. God's blessing us. We're excited about what he's doing. But anyway, I mean, God's been good to us. We're seeing souls saved, but we ought to desire to see souls saved. That's an important thing to see souls saved. And so notice in Matthew 28, we're commissioned to be soul winners. Bob Jones Sr. said that one time, he said, the Lord would put the angels on half rations just to feed a soul winner. Somebody telling people about Jesus, what he's talking about. There's a lot of people that way. We're over here in America. We've got it so good. And most of us don't even want to tell anybody about the Lord. There's missionaries in Afghanistan right now that they say may not even live through the next day. That's a terrible thing. What's, that's awful what's going on over there. Anyway, it's just a, a mess. You don't ever pull your troops out until you pull your people out first. Anybody knows better than that. You'd think, not anybody, but anyway, you'd think they would. But what a mess that you see in the world, and it's a shame. It really is. It's too bad. They're, they're murdering people in the streets and killing people, and anybody that's a Christian, they're going door to door, they're saying, and finding these pastors and preachers, and they're having underground churches, and they know where they're at, and it's, it's awful. We need to really pray for them. But those people have been risking their lives, and many of them are giving their life for what they're doing. And here we are with the freedoms we have, even though they're, they're getting uh, more limited by the day, it seems like. But we still have the freedom to go out and tell people about the Lord. And we ought to tell people. It's an important thing to do. And so we're commissioned to be soul winners. Look in verse Matthew 28, verse 19. This is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. It's the Lord that gives it. Look what he says in Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now notice in that commission, the very first thing is go. G-O. That's the first two letters in the word gospel. Brother Don always said, if you take the go out of gospel, you just have a spell. That's true. If you take it out, that's what it's all that be left. But what we need is the gospel. Lester Roloff, the old time preacher, who's a great preacher, died in a plane crash in 1982. He said the gospel is the best pill or best medicine anybody could ever take. That's right, though. The gospel. You say, what is the gospel? Jesus died for your sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And we ought to be thankful for that. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the gospel. And that's how people are saved, by believing in what Jesus has done for them at Calvary. And we ought to go. It's, and go is not a noun, it's a verb. And it's telling you to do something. And so we ought to go. It's an important thing. There's a lot of churches and... Uh, most churches are really big, many churches are big on missions, and every church ought to be big on missions. That's a big deal. And we ought to send money to missionaries on a monthly basis. We send money to missionaries in Africa, Mexico. Um, we send monies to Israel, to, uh, to multiple, it's even illegal to be a missionary over there. You say, who do you send them to? We're not telling you. We ain't going to get them in trouble. I mean, really, it's illegal. But there they are, and they're missionaries, and they're telling people about the Lord. We're sending money to missionaries all over the United States, different places, planting churches, and that sort of thing. And that's wonderful. But the truth is, we're the missionaries in this area. It's our job to evangelize this area. We're not sending money to somebody in another state for them to come back over here and, and take care of this area. That's our job as a church. It's our job to evangelize and tell people the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means the good news. Did you know the best news there's ever been is what Jesus did for you at Calvary? That's the best news. And the best news about that is, is he didn't stay dead. He's alive. Had he died on the cross and just stayed dead, it wouldn't have been any good. But that angel said, he's not here, he's risen. Man, that's wonderful news. But we ought to go. We ought to tell people about the Lord. Uh, we've got some folks on Saturday. They go every Saturday. Uh, I think Landon got to lead a guy of the Lord last Saturday. That's good. Just out door knocking and that sort of thing. And that's great. I've knocked on every door in this town, Walnut Ridge, Hoxie area, at least, I don't know how many times, but 10 times maybe, I don't know, a bunch of times. And man, we've knocked on doors. People say, well, that doesn't work. Well, it's worked pretty good for us. We just go out and invite people to church, tell them about the Lord. I've had people laugh at us and make fun of us. Oh, that's that walk-in church. Well, call us wherever you want to. We had to build a building. You didn't have to. You say, why? Because we're telling people about the Lord, and we're friendly. when they, We want you to be here. We, we're glad that you're here. We want to have a good time when we come, and we like it. But anyway, God's been good to us, and we realize that's the reason that we're where we're at right now is because of his blessings on us. But anyway, we got to go. That's our job. It's our job as a Baptist to go. It's our job as a Christian to go. It's our job knowing the gospel to go. You ought to tell somebody else. You know what most people get thinking? They get thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not qualified to tell anybody else. Have you been saved? If you've been saved, you've got a right to tell somebody else what happened to you. And you ought to tell them, say, you know what? The Lord's been good to me, and I got saved. And you could just tell about how you got saved. That's witnessing. And that's telling somebody else what the Lord did for you. You watch around this world right now, if you wasn't saved, it'd be scary. 
I mean, you can say, anybody that can't save what, what the direction things are going is blind. Blind as a bat. And I mean, it would be scary, but we know that we're on the winning side. Everything's going to be okay for us because we got the Lord on our side. It's going to be fine, but it's, it's scary. Scary thing. So anyway, we got a commission to go. One time, Charles Spurgeon, he was the great preacher in the 1800s, and he still talked about among Christians today, he's got volumes of books. He was known as the Prince of Preachers, the Prince of the Pulpiteers, they said, in the 1800s. He's known for his, his intelligence and his great speaking ability. And he had a, a college, and he taught, trained thousands of young men and young women. And anyway, he, he pastored the largest church in London, England. Thousands of people went to the Metropolitan Baptist Church. And Charles Spurgeon was down in the fish market one day, and as he, was, as he was down there, there was an old uneducated boy, and he was up on a crate. And the fish market was known as a place where people would go, and it was uneducated. Place. And I kind of know what they're talking about, because I've been to enough countries, and every country I've ever been into, they have a market, and you go, and you can smell the fish market before you ever get in there. And there's usually things other than fish. You'll find heads and, you know, like, what's that belong to? <laughs> and flies all over. Like, I'm on a diet all of a sudden, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. I usually lose weight when I go overseas. But anyway, I'm not against them. I just, we just eat differently. <laughs> when you say stuff like that, it's like, ugh. But anyway, I like pork. Amen. We say, what part of the pork do you like? All of it. <laughs> Amen. And I like... I like uh, seafood, and especially Cajun food. Amen. And then I like what we call American food. That's going to be cheeseburgers, hamburgers, you know, that stuff. Pizza. You say, that's Italian. No, that's real. We, we've, done, we've changed all that up. That's right. I like Mexican food in America. I just don't care much for it in Mexico. They, these people say authentic Mexican restaurant. You've never been to Mexico, if you believe that. It don't taste anything like that. And I had somebody say, oh, we went to Cancun. and it You went to a tourist place. You go 200 miles below the border and then tell me how it tastes. I promise you, it's a lot different. <laughs> so anyway, but Lord willing, I'm going next month, so we'll see. But I'm going to a place, I'm staying in a home there. And Sister Maria, that lady will cook. And when you get in there on, in the morning for breakfast, it's Mexican food. And I mean, they set you at the table, and they, they pile it on. And if you eat everything on your plate, they pile it on bigger the second time. I learned that the hard way. I was like, I want to eat it all because they're sacrificing. And then, and then they brought I go, oh, no, I'm full. What am I gonna, and then I had to try to eat anyway, you know. So I started always leaving just a little bit on the plate because <laughs> you don't want to get, you know, because if you're full, I mean, you can't keep going, and you don't want to offend these people. Then lunch comes, Mexican food. Supper time, Mexican food. Next morning, breakfast, Mexican food. Lunch, Mexican food. You get tired of that after a while. You think, man, what I'm needing right now is a Whataburger. Uh, uh, that's what I'm needing, you know. Or I'm needing Houdats and bald knobs. Somebody say, hey, man, that's what I'm needing. And Don's, I'll take that. And then this around here, I mean, I, I like it all. Amen. But anyway, he was down there at that fish market, Spurgeon, and that guy got up on that crate, and he goes, I ain't got no learning or anything. But he said, I'm preaching today and Jesus died for you and, you and you ought to be saved. And if you ain't saved, you'll die and go to hell. And he thought, oh, goodness. 
He's butchering the king's English. I wish he'd sit down and be quiet. And about that time, that guy said, I know I ain't got no learning or anything. But he said, I've been a saved and I got a right to tell somebody else. And Spurgeon said, Lord, forgive me for that. He does have a right. Shouldn't we all be doing that, he said. And anyway, that's right. People say, well, they, they just don't seem so qualified. Well, sometimes the way they're doing it's better than the way that you're not doing it. And so that works out pretty good. The old saying is this, if you fish long enough, you'll catch some fish. Elizabeth's dad, who's in heaven now, he always told me that story. When she was little, it was a Scooby-Doo pole or one of those. You know how little kids had the little poles, and she had a little Scooby-Doo pole. And, and he was baiting her hook like he always did, you know, and they was out there fishing in a pond. And anyway, after she kept getting tangled up and losing her bait, and he got tired of baiting her hook, and, and she said, Daddy, I need more bait. And, I mean, he was wanting to fish, too. He said, just throw it in. It don't matter. It'll be fine. She goes, okay. And she threw it in. And after just a little while, she said, Daddy, I got one. I got one. And he said, like, he said I don't think you have one, honey, in his mind. He's saying, you don't even have bait. You're not, there's no way you've got And you know what? A fish came by there and bit that hook, and she pulled that thing in, and she had one. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but if you fish long enough, you'll catch fish. That's the moral of the story. And that's what we need is some people fishing. Now, he says this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, notice this. Not only are we to go, we're to teach. Now, what do you think he might be talking about? I think I know. He's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the most important thing anybody can teach. Hold your place and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And the Bible defines the gospel. It's not what I think it is, just the, the Bible definition of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. How do you get saved? By the gospel. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. In other words, you've got to believe with all your heart. You can't just say, oh, yeah, I believe. That's not good enough. The devils believe and tremble, it says in James, in James chapter 2. So we have to believe with all of our heart. Verse 3, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. You say, what did he give? He gave you the gospel. He said, here's the gospel. You say, what is it? Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. He says, just like the Bible said that he would. He said, it happened exactly like that. And he said, you're, believe, you're, you're saved if you believe this, unless you believed in vain. I believe that. I believe it with all my heart that that's what happened. I believe the Lord's alive today. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here tonight. And I'm pretty sure you believe it or you wouldn't be here tonight. That's why we believe that. That's why we're here, because we're worshiping the Lord. And so anyway, when we read about this, we say that we're to be soul winners. And what do we teach people? We teach them the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know, there's still people that don't even know about that. It's amazing how somebody could know it. But there's people that don't know. They don't have any idea. And we've got to tell them about it. I was preaching my second sermon 
back in the 1990s. I was like six. Anyway, <laughs> that was a long time ago. And anyway, I was preaching my second sermon. I didn't know anything. I'm not trying to say I know anything now. I'm just saying I really didn't know anything. I know where all the books of the Bible are now. I didn't know. I didn't, couldn't even, especially in the Old Testament, I'd, had, I'd been like, man. I didn't know. There's lots I didn't know. And I've been praying. I said, Lord, I want to see something happen. Let somebody get saved. Let something happen. And I got thinking, well, if they come forward, what am I going to do? And so I wrote down in my Bible, and it wasn't this one. I've got my Bible in my office in there somewhere in, a, in my library that I had at that time. And anyway, I wrote in the book of Romans. I turned over there, and I got it right here. In the front of Romans, I wrote down the Roman road. Many people use the Roman road for, to lead somebody to the Lord. I think it's a great way to do it. That's how I normally do it because it tells you everything you need to know. And I wrote down Romans 3.10. There's none righteous, no, not one. As is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Then I wrote down Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then I wrote down Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then I wrote down Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9. That if thou shalt believe with thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead and all that stuff. I can't even quote right now. My mind's slipping. But anyway, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. And so I had all these scriptures written down here. And I had them marked so I could find them. Well, I preached the second time I ever preached. First time I preached, I preached at my home church, pastor there. They handled everything. This church didn't have a pastor. They were in between pastors. As a matter of fact, uh, they had all kinds of problems I didn't even know about. But anyway, they... Uh, they'd run off a pastor because he picked up a black kid at, um, on a church van. I go, so I preached on the black guy getting saved that morning. So I knew I wasn't going to come back. But anyway, <laughs> hey, that's what the Bible taught. You got to be nuts to be like that. Anyway, some people say you got to be nuts to be me, but I thought, that's wrong. That's wrong in every way, you know. And so I just preached the Bible. But anyway, but it's amazing how people have been in the past I have to say this I don't think there's too many people that way now I think they're pretty good but anyway and I think most of those people were good there's just a couple of them there that was running the pastor they were the ones well I preached and I preached about the Lord saving that Ethiopian eunuch that man from Africa boy he got saved he's one of my favorite stories in the Bible him getting saved and I'd like to have that eunuch in our church man he had a lot of joy to him and everything else he'd been good to have Anyway, we didn't have him. He's dead before we, our church ever got started. <laughs> but anyway, I was preaching. And it had two, it had two aisles, two, two rows of pews, just a little church building. And it's, it's a nice little building. And they just built it. And I said, Lord, let something happen. When I got done preaching, I stood down the front. And I said, is there anybody that needs to be saved? Why don't you just step out and come? About that time, there's this older lady. She's about 35. I thought she was old. Anyway, she, <laughs> she stepped out to the nearest aisle to her. She came down, and I, man, she was crying like crazy. And I was looking at her, I was thinking, what am I going to do now? Anyway, <laughs> I've never done anything like this. And here she comes down that aisle, and I said, what do you need? Man, she, I need to be saved. I go, oh, just a minute. And I opened up my Bible to the book of Romans. Right in the front of the book of Romans, I had that. And I said, Romans 3.10. I said, just a second. I turned to Romans 3.10. There's none righteous, no, not one. 
I said, do you realize you're not righteous and all that? And she said, oh, yeah, I understand that. I said, just a minute. And I turned back, and it said Romans 3.23. I turned back to for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. I said, do you realize that you're a sinner and that God's holy and we're separated from God because we're that way? We're all that way. We're all born as sinners. She goes, oh, I know I'm a sinner. I said, just a minute. <laughs> and I turned back. Man, I'm going through these things as fast as I can. And I'm going through the Roman road. And I finally get to the last one. And my arms are tired and I'm out of breath. And I said, now, I said, would you call on the Lord the best way you know how? And ask him to come to your heart and save you. And all. she goes, that's what I've been waiting to do. <laughs> that's what she's doing the whole time. And right there, she prayed and asked the Lord to save her. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to memorize those verses. That's pretty embarrassing. But it might have been embarrassing, but at least somebody got saved. Amen. And so that's a good thing. You ought to know those verses. And there's nothing wrong with making you a cheat sheet in this case. You're not in school. I'm not recommending that in school. When I was in college, I said, if you're not cheating, you're cheating yourself. That's a lie. It's a lie. I don't do that. <laughs> that's all right. But anyway, a good cheat sheet in your Bible. I write in my Bible, so I wouldn't do that. Well, don't do it. That's fine. I mean, it's a free country. Do what you want. But, you know, I write notes in there because I've got it. And I like to do that. I like to have things written in there where I can find it and that sort of thing. I mean, that's kind of like a mask. You want to wear one? Wear it. Just don't ask me to. Amen. <laughs> that's all right. So when you say, well, you go to the hospital, I'd wear it. I'd do what I need to do. Go help somebody. All right, let's see here. What are we commissioned to do? We're commissioned to go. We're commissioned to teach. We're to teach them the gospel. Tell them how to be saved. And we've got to get out and do it if we're going to do it. Curtis Hudson, Brother Tony's dad, they was talking about that preaches for us. And I've told this story many times, but some of you have never heard it. Brother Curtis Hudson was pastoring in just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, Baptist Church. It was the largest Baptist Church in Georgia. It's the biggest church. And Charles Stanley was right there. His church was bigger than his. Thousands at the time. I mean, lots of thousands. And he was known all over the country. I mean, he got to he started with 40 people. He was a mail carrier. He got knocking on doors, inviting people to church, name the Lord. And next thing you know, he had the fastest growing church in America two years in a row. That's pretty big. And then thousands of people were going to this church, and it was on, and it was good. And he got sitting up in his office one day, and he had a bunch of visitor cards where visitors would come and filled them out. And when they came, the ushers would give them to them. And, you know, it was such a large place of thousands of people. And he's looking at that stack of visitor cards, and he thought, you know, that's been sitting there for a while, and I hadn't even done anything. And he got convicted about it. And he said, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I ought to be checking on these people. I don't even know. And he, he said, I'll tell you what, Lord. It was like 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday night sitting in his office. He said, I'll go out tonight, and I'll take the very first one right here. And if you'll just forgive me for not going and seeing them like I should have, like I felt like I need to, and now I'm convicted about it, would you help this, Lord? And anyway, he said, I'm sorry. I'll go see them right now. As long as their light's on, I'm not going to wake them up or anything like that. 10 o'clock at night. He drives to that house, and there it is, and it showed that they'd been visited their church like three months before. And he, there they were, and he looked out there in the yard, and there was a U-Haul, and they were loading stuff up. He goes, oh, they're moving. And he stopped, and he said, hey, I'm Pastor Curtis Hudson of so-and-so Baptist Church right here. He said, you visited our church, got a visitor card. He said, I'm sorry I haven't checked on you. It's been like three months, and anyway, I just hate it that I haven't come by. And they said, the man said, it don't matter now. He said, we're getting divorced. He said, we're not coming back, we're moving. We're splitting up, selling the house, we're going our separate ways. He goes, oh, no. 
And he thought, man, if I'd been by earlier, maybe I could have helped them. You know, he got really feeling bad about it. He said, well, before, before you load all this up, he said, before you finish loading, he said, could, I, could you take a break? I want to talk to you about the Lord for a minute. He goes, well, yeah, I guess I could. I've been doing this all night. And he went through the Bible and showed him how to be saved. And right there in the yard, that guy accepted the Lord as his Savior. Right then. And I mean, he got crying and excited about it. And he said, where's your wife at? He said, well, she's in there with her family. And this is my family helping me load my part. He goes, oh. He said, well, let's go in and tell her what happened. He said, okay. And he walked in there and he said, I'm the preacher and told her those stories. He said, listen. He said, "Uh, could you come in the bedroom? Your husband's got something he wants to tell you. She said, I guess. And boy, the family said, don't go in there. And he said, no, no, it's all right. I'll go in there. The preacher's going. So they went in there, and, and he, he said, tell her. He said, honey, he said, I just trusted the Lord as my Savior. And she said, you know, she said, I really need to be saved too. And Brother Carter showed her how to be saved. And before he left, he'd led like eight family members to the Lord. And he said that night, by midnight, he personally helped them unload the U-Haul and put everything back in the house, and they became members of that church. Let me tell you, that works. It don't always happen just like that, but that's pretty good. That's a real story. He, he was telling, Brother Tony was telling me about his daddy one time, and he said he was out, he was known, Brother Curtis was known as a good, great soul winner, really was. And he went out to this place where they fixed TVs. Back in the old days, they actually fixed TVs. Can you believe that? TV repair shop. Now you throw it away and buy another one. But anyway, they used to work on those things. You can't work on anything anymore. And I remember those when we had them right here in town. When I moved here, there was a TV shop. But anyway, there they were. And, and, and he was in that TV shop, and he got witnessing this guy on the aisle. And the guy, I mean, the guy kind of got ugly with him. And he went through everything and told him how to be saved. And the guy said, listen, I don't want any part of that. Don't talk to me again. He said, okay. He said, I just thought I wanted, I just felt like I needed to tell you. That Sunday, Brother Curtis was at church, thousands of people. He gave the invitation. He said, if anybody's accepted Christ their Savior and like to come forward and let people know that they have and maybe follow the Lord in baptism, you come forward now. And about that time, a man stepped out in the aisle and he said, uh, he said, I want to tell people, he said, I got saved. He said, really? He said, did you just get saved? He goes, oh no. He said, I got saved the other day. He said, well, who led you to the Lord? He said, you did. He said, I did. I've never even seen you. He said, wasn't you in a TV repair shop the other day? He goes, yeah, but I didn't see you. He said, yeah, but you was telling the guy how to be saved. And I was on the next aisle listening to it. And I just prayed and asked the Lord to save me right there. I said, well, I might as well just go to that church. <laughs> you don't never know what's going to happen. Man, it's a good thing. Just tell somebody. Just tell somebody. One year, we had 22 different people in our church lead somebody to the Lord. Separate people. That's amazing. We had older ladies going to the nursing home and leading people to the Lord. People door knocking. We had kids at school leading people to the Lord. All kinds of good things happening. See, you can be, you can be a soul winner at school. Get you some gospel tracks. They got those lockers in school. So we can't be, a kid can do whatever they want. Teachers have to be careful. But kids can talk about whatever they want to. But if a kid brings it up to a teacher, then they can talk about it. But they have to be careful. You got to be careful with that. But they got these things at school called lockers, and they're designed, they got track slots in them. And what they're, you ever seen those little, they almost look like a vent or something, but they're track slots. And you take a gospel track and you just slide it in there, and it falls in there, and you leave a gospel track in somebody's locker. That's what they're made for. That's what you ought to do with it. So anyway, so you got to be careful. They got cameras and stuff over there now. So anyway, 
He probably won't get in too much trouble. Not for that. All right. We, we used to do all kinds of stuff. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll talk about tracks one time before we get done. Not tonight, but anyway. But we're commissioned to teach. We're commissioned to baptize. After a person gets saved, they ought to get baptized. They ought to show people that they've trusted Christ as their Savior. That's what baptism's all about. Baptism's no different than this wedding ring that I'm wearing. Now, this wedding ring right here says, boy, that's a fine, nice wedding ring. It's made out of silicone. Anyway, so why is it silicone? Well, they're... It don't hurt if you're doing stuff. You don't get your hand pinched. Just a, my wife bought it for me, and I'm wearing it. Amen. I like it. The best one, I like it. It's not the most expensive one, but I enjoy it. And so anyway, if I want to put up a deer stand, it ain't going to hurt me or whatever I want to do. And so here I am, and I got that on. You say, why do you wear that? Showing people I'm married. You say, well, I don't wear one. Well, that's between you and your spouse. That don't have nothing to do with being married. But the truth is that shows people I'm married. And since I like my wife, I don't mind people knowing I'm married. And so they say that. They say, that. So he's married. That's what they'll say when they say a wedding ring. They say, he's married. Now, I'm not going to take it off because of the latex, but I could pull that off. And if I pulled it off, I'm still married. I'm just as married whether I wear that or I don't wear it. But here's the key to that. If I pull it off and I go around town, I don't mean I'm doing anything wrong, but when people look at me, they don't see it on my hand. They don't know whether I'm married or not if they don't know me. And so I'm married. It doesn't change that I'm married, but they may not know it. You know, some men work certain jobs and they don't wear a wedding ring because they've had their fingers ripped off before. And I understand that. And that's, and that's part of life. You know, you've got to be careful in some, some degrees. But anyway, if you wear one or don't wear one, that's immaterial to me. But if I take it off, I'm still married. But since I want people to know I'm married, I wear a wedding ring. I got saved. But you can't see what happened on the inside. You can only see the outside. And so I wanted to show people I got saved, so I got baptized. That's just, just showing people, saying, hey, I believe in Christ. I'm not ashamed of him, and I'm following him in baptism. It's like a death, burial, and a resurrection, and you're raised up to showing that you're a new person now. That's what baptism's all about, an identification. If you were in the military, you'd wear a military outfit, military uniform, I should say. And whatever branch you're in, they all have different ones, but I think they all look nice. And anyway, you wear a military uniform. If somebody's in the Army and you've been in the Marines, you don't look at them and say, well, there's a Marine. No, you know, that's an Army uniform or Marines or Navy or Air Force or whatever it might be, whatever branch it is. When you see that uniform, you say, they're in the service. Now, if they took that uniform off, they're still in the service. But it shows people they're in the service. That's what baptism's all about. Baptism is just showing people on the outside what took place on the inside. It's saying, hey, I'm in the service now. I'm in the Lord's army. And I've been saved. I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed of it. And then also, we're to teach them again, it says, but we're to disciple people. That's part, that's really the Great Commission. The old saying is you've got to win them, wet them, and work them. <laughs> That's right, we ought to all be in the work of the Lord. We ought to be involved in it some way or another. You say, well, I don't, I don't know, people expect me to do stuff at the church, that kind of stuff. Listen, nobody makes nobody do anything. But we ought to be willing to because we're not doing it for people, we're doing it for Him. And I have a feeling He's done a whole lot more for you than you've ever done for Him. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say He's been better to us than we have been to Him. And so I don't mind working for him, y'all. It don't bother me one bit. I'm glad for the opportunity to work for the Lord. 
And uh, you know what? Our church has showed that, that they're glad too. This church is a good working church. They're willing to do stuff if they're called on. And I appreciate that. Thank God for it. So what a blessing that is. But anyway, we don't try to kill people and work you to death. But thank God people will step in if they, need to, if they see a need or something needs to be done. We all help out the best we can. All right, we've got to be a soul winner. We're commissioned to be a soul winner. I'm running out of time. But how about this? We're to pray to be soul winners. You want to be a good soul winner, you better pray about it. You better pray about it. Turn to Matthew. Say what chapter? Well, let me see. And go to chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And look at this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. It's like they didn't have a leader, no direction. Then saith he unto his, to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. I have to say, it's been plenteous here lately. Lots of people are getting saved. I just wonder if it's not the condition of this world. It gets people thinking, you know what? The Lord may come back. I don't want to be left behind. Better get this thing right. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. People will volunteer for a lot of things, but they don't volunteer for the soul winning. Then he says this, pray. There it is, pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Then we ought to pray for laborers for soul winners, soul winning laborers, people that will tell others about the Lord. We ought to pray for that. What we need is a burden. The Bible says he looked on these people with compassion. That's how we ought to be. We ought to have compassion towards others. It doesn't matter what walk of life somebody came. They need the Lord is what they need. We ought to have compassion on them. We ought to be willing to tell somebody about the Lord. The average person, as long as their family gets saved and all that, they're good. So, well, we're good now. Yeah, but what about everybody else's family? Don't they need to be saved? We need to tell others about the Lord. We ought to have a burden for it. We ought to desire for our family members to be saved. Brother Luke, tell back there, raise your hand, Brother Luke, so I know who you are. He's over there in that section. He got saved and baptized. He and his wife, Sister Joan, who went to be with the Lord this last year, they was the first people baptized in the old building before we tore it down. 19, was it 74 or somewhere in there? out there 73 two, somewhere in there but anyway they'd been coming to church and they weren't saved and they'd been coming and there they were and they were in that aisle and they were standing the invitation like people do and they were standing there and sister Joan nudged him to get out and he thought well she's going to the bathroom she needs to wait that'd be rude to go right now and he just kind of blocked her she tried to go out he blocked her and she kind of go, go around the other way he blocked her the other way and he wouldn't let her out the, the pew. And she got her elbow and she goes, wham! <laughs> and she, that, that happened, didn't it? 
And I mean, she got out. <laughs> and it, she didn't go to the bathroom. She came forward and trusted the Lord as her Savior. <laughs> That's what she did. And he said right after that, he went forward and got saved. That's good. You say, what's that got to do with this? I don't know. It just got on my mind there, so I told it. But that's a good story. That's a really good story. But we need soul winners, and we need to have a burden for people to be saved and for family people to be saved. And Is your family saved? Is your spouse saved? Is your parents saved? Are your children saved? Are your grandchildren saved? Are your cousins, nieces, nephews? Man, we need to have a burden for people and tell them about the Lord. They know about everything else. They need to know about the Lord. That's what people need to know. We've got to... Everybody's on social media. They talk about everything but the Lord. And that's what needs to be talked about is the Lord. All right, we're talking about what the Bible says about soul winning. We're commissioned to be soul winners. We're to pray to be soul winners. And I got more that we'll do next Wednesday too. So this will be more than, more than a one-parter. Any questions or comments?